four o'clock, and they always played the old black and white scary movies, Godzilla and King Kong and all of that. Anybody remember the movie called The Blob? Anybody remember The Blob? Wasn't that the lamest, most scary movie you've ever seen? I watched The Blob, and then forever I kept waiting for that black and white blob to come under my bedroom door and, and smother me in my sleep. Did you see the head that wouldn't die back in the day? It was horrible. I mean, just really, really lame. This woman's head was through a hole in the table. But it was like a head that didn't have a body and the head wouldn't die. Man, that thing scared me to death. I love scary movies, but they scare me. Went to see Smokey and the Bandit in the late 70s. That's scary for other reasons. But, but I went with neighborhood kids. All the neighborhood kids went to see Smokey and the Bandit. And there was a double feature at the Franklin Drive-In that night. And the second feature after Smokey and the Bandit was a movie called Rabid. Not rabbit like bunny rabbit, rabid like rabies. And all these people got rabies and they were attacking each other and turning into zombies. And I'm telling you, that movie messed me up. I was so scared for days and, and, and days and days. That's just me. I love scary movies, but then I stay scared. I saw Psycho when I was a kid and to this day, to this day, if I'm washing my face or shampooing, I got to get the soap out of my eyes real, real fast, you know, because as soon as you soap up, there's somebody with a knife outside your, your shower. That, that, that's how I, I feel. I, I would see the scary movie, then I would continue to be afraid. I, I was afraid of boogermen under my bed or afraid of zombies or blobs coming out of my closet. But, but real honestly, now listen to me, as an adult, I've realized that there really aren't any haunted houses. There are no boogermen under my bed or blobs coming under my door. It's nothing like that. There are no haunted houses, but there are haunted hearts. There are haunted hearts. And the most dangerous, most frightening things in our lives are really not things out there. It's not the things in the scary movies. The most dangerous things in the world are really things of the heart. That's why the book of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's what scripture says. Guard your heart. In other words, you must be very, very careful what you allow into your heart. Very careful what monsters you allow to reside in your heart. Next several messages called Where the Wild Things Are. I want us to take a look at the scary things that sometimes lurk in our hearts. Hearts. This morning we're going to begin with anger and talk about the anger monster. Tonight I want us to talk about depression. Depression is a horrible monster that will move into your heart. Next Sunday I want us to talk about, it's a made up word, it's cupidity. It's a different kind of monster, cupidity. I put two words together, cupid which has to do with love and uh, stupidity. Cupid and stupidity, cupidity. I'm talking about the, the strange kind of love that makes people do really stupid things. Cupidity next week, and then followed by jealousy. Uh, these are the monsters that come at our hearts. This morning with anger, let's start at 1 Samuel chapter 18. Kind of the middle of the story between David and Saul. Saul is a good example of a man who becomes absolutely controlled by the monster of anger. But I guess before we read, to get a little bit of background, I'm going to turn back one page. It's not on the slides, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Remember where this begins. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Saul was the king of Israel. He was uh, an important man. He was God's man. But Saul refused to follow the Lord, and this is what happened. 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. 
It's confusing, and I don't know how to explain it to you really, that, that throughout the Saul story, what happens to him when he turns away from God affects him spiritually, it affects him psychologically, it affects him physically, just like with you and me. But in the Saul story, it keeps going back and saying that, that what happens, the spirit that begins to attack him comes from God. I can't really explain that this morning, but I just want you to understand that, that what Saul experiences, his anger, his rage, it's a spiritual problem. Don't miss that. That's the important part of this text. It's a spiritual problem. His anger has a spiritual cause. As it was, Saul would become absolutely tormented by depression and fear and rage. His aides at one particular point decide that the only thing that might help King Saul is music. And of course, in those days, there are no iPods, there are no CD players. The only way to have music is to hire a musician. So somebody recommends a young musician that they know from the town of Bethlehem, and his name is David. His name is David. David is a young man who plays the harp. So they bring David into King Saul's palace, and as it turns out, David is the only one, the only one who can comfort King Saul. He does it with his music. So early on, Saul loves David. It says that in verse 21 in chapter 16. David went to Saul and began serving him, and Saul loved David very much. And and Saul begins to bring David into his household. It's beautiful. The relationship for some extended period of time is a very loving, tender relationship between Saul and, and David. Chapter 17, David kills the giant named Goliath. And after that great victory, we pick up in chapter 18. Remember, Saul loves David very much, but but look at where his anger takes him. Chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Saul loves David. Jump with me down to verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Actually, they will. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David. Isn't that interesting? Saul was trying to pin him to the wall, but now Saul is afraid of David. For the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him, David, commander over 1,000 men, And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. 
But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Down to verse 29. So Saul became even more afraid of David. And he remained David's, say the word with me, enemy for the rest of his life. Do you see that very simple thing? How anger will turn a friend into an enemy for life. Honestly, it seems like anger is everywhere these days. Anger. I was in Staples the other day. Y'all know about Staples? It's an office supply store. And I ended up in an aisle with a a, a woman, a lovely flower of a mother with these two children. And they were in a three-way tantrum, all three. I was under the impression that if your kids are acting up, you take them to Walmart. That's where all the wild, wild kids are. But this is Staples. Staples. And I'm in the aisle with this mother and, and the mother is throwing a fit. The mother's screaming at the kids. She's threatening them. She's going to lock them in the car. She's going to make them go without supper. She's going to starve them and kill them. I mean, she was out of control. This mother was screaming at her kids, but the kids are going at it too. Now the kids were small. The one walking beside the cart was probably elementary school. He's a little boy and he was really giving it to his brother. He was mouthing. Never seen anything like the mouth on this kid. His little brother was little. He had a pacifier in his mouth and he was sitting in the car. I mean, little bitty fellow, little fellow, but his face was red. I mean, this family is at it. It would have been entertaining like TV if it weren't real. I mean, this is a real family. So they're going at it. The mother's at it. She's angry. She's mad. She's screaming. The kids are at it. The little boy at the pacifiers, his face is red. His brother's mouthing off at his little brother. Finally, the one brother, the, 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 the big brother walking, he said something that I haven't heard since third grade. I didn't know kids still said this, but he said to his brother, jump back, Jack, for I slap you back. You remember that? Do you remember saying that? I didn't know kids still said that. Jump back, Jack, for I slap you back. That's what he said to his little brother. Said, jump back, Jack, for I slap you back. Of course, the mom's screaming. At this point, now listen to me. At this point, the little boy with the pacifier, he takes the, uh, he takes the pacifier out of his mouth. And he says to his brother, I'll kill you and make it look like an accident. <laughs> and then he put the pacifier back in his mouth. Can you believe that? Now we said, jump back, Jack, before I slap you back in third grade. We never said, I'm going to kill you and make it look like an accident. I'm serious. This little boy, little boy with a pacifier takes it out of his mouth to say, I'll kill you and make it look like an accident. Where did that come from? Where does that come from? Honestly, when it comes to anger, that's, that's a lot of times the question we have. Where in the world did that come from? It's probably that way when you lose your temper, when somebody you know loses the, the, their temper. Uh, they just sort of explode. In our lives sometimes there are people who seem to be going along just fine. And then all of a sudden something triggers and they just explode with anger. You may be that person or you may know that person. But it's just anger all of a sudden an explosion. And that's the question usually. Where in the world did that come from? Where does that come from? Lots of times in my life, when I lose my temper, the, the first thing I want to say is, I'm so sorry that that wasn't me. I don't know what came over me, but that, that wasn't me. That's not how I am. But, but is that honest? Is that, can I honestly say that's not me? Because it, it, it was me. 
When we say that's not me, I don't know where that came from. It's sort of interesting because honestly, that really is me. I'm just usually a whole lot better at keeping that part of me hidden. I'm usually a lot better at not letting that show. But oh, it's me. Make no mistake, that's me. But we still ask, where did that come from? It's, it's the way I read 1 Samuel chapter 18 because remember, everything leading up to this continues to prepare us for the fact that Saul loves David very much. David can do for Saul what nobody else can do. His presence, his music, his friendship, his spirit, everything about David is only good for Saul. And Saul loves him very much. Brings him right into the palace and lets David live there like a part of the family. He is like a part of the family. And then all of the sudden, it seems, out of the blue, it seems, Saul, the scripture says, one day took out his spear and tried to pin David to the wall twice. Where does that come from? Where did that come from? Well, maybe, maybe if you ask Saul, he may have said it's, it's the women. Because remember what the scripture says in verse 7. After David killed Goliath, the women came into town with the armies. And it's like a parade and a celebration. And all of the young girls are playing tambourines and they're dancing and they're singing. And they're singing a song about two guys. Who are they singing about? Saul and David. Saul and David. And the song is actually a really awesome song about both Saul and David. Saul has killed thousands. Saul's a mighty warrior. They're singing that Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed 10,000. Ooh, yeah. And the scripture says that song makes Saul angry. Imagine what it felt like to be Saul hearing that song. I don't know if you're around young girls these days, but there's a whole new movie trilogy out called Twilight. Don't know about that? You know about that? If you've got girls in your life, you probably do. And the big burning question among young girls these days is about one of two guys. Which guy is going to be the hottest? Which guy is the real guy? The, the pale vampire guy named Edward, thank you, or the, the, the werewolf guy, Jacob, yeah, and that's the big thing between the girls. Which guy, which guy's the coolest guy? Is it Edward or Jacob? And this is what's happening right here in the scripture. It's about two guys, but it's in the old, old days. It's not Edward and Jacob, it's Saul and David. Saul and David. And as it turns out, back in the day, all of the girls want David's poster in their bedroom. All of the girls are going after David because Saul is sort of so yesterday. Do you understand? David is like Zac Efron. David is like one of the hot young guys, but Saul is kind of like Regis Philbin. (laughs) Saul's kind of like Regis. He probably used to be somebody awesome, but he's probably not so. He's kind of lame now. Hair plugs and makeup, just kind of not what he used to be. Now it's all about David. And Saul gets that. He gets that very well. He hears them singing and he understands what's shifting right beneath his feet. David is on the rise. Saul's on the decline. Makes him angry. Maybe it's the women's song. If the women wouldn't sing that song, maybe Saul wouldn't get so angry. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It really might be something to do with Saul's, maybe his own father or his past. 
We don't know anything about Saul, but he's probably got a story to tell. And maybe Saul's father had a problem with his temper. Maybe Saul's father was the kind of guy that just explodes like that. Maybe Saul's mother, maybe he goes way back into the grandparents. Maybe everybody in Saul's family just blew their top like that. So maybe Saul can't help it. Maybe that's how he grew up. Maybe Saul was in an abusive family. It's possible. We don't know what Saul's been through, but maybe it's all that in his past. If, if he hadn't been through his past, he wouldn't be like that now. But maybe all of his anger has to do with his past. I don't know about that. Honestly, I don't know about that. Maybe it's just David. Maybe it's just David. It's David that makes him mad. Brings David into his house and he loves him at first, but then maybe it's just bad chemistry. Maybe it's something about these two guys. And if David just goes away, then Saul won't feel angry. The problem with that is Saul keeps sending David away. But Saul's anger doesn't go away. It doesn't come and go with David. Let's just be real honest about anger. Let's even start thinking about your anger. We wonder where it comes from. Well, why does this come out of me? It comes out of you because it's in you. Are you listening to me? It comes out of you because it's in you. Saul cannot blame it on the women and their song. It has next to nothing to do with the women and their song. The women sing and it brings the anger out of Saul, but it's coming out of Saul because it's in him. You can't blame the women. You can't blame others for your anger. You can't. Maybe it's his daddy, his mama. Maybe Saul grew up in an abusive family. Maybe anger is all he's ever known. That is no excuse. It comes out of Saul now because that's what is in Saul. And he can't blame David either. It's not David's fault. David loves Saul. David is faithful to Saul. The anger's not coming from David. Are are you one of those people that really struggles with anger? I hope you're not one of those people that starts playing games in your own head, making excuses for your anger. You tell yourself that if your husband were just different, you wouldn't get so mad at him. You tell yourself that if she would just do what you say, if she would give you your way, you wouldn't get so mad. If your kids would just listen to you, you tell yourself. If everybody would just stay out of your face, you wouldn't. But are you listening to yourself? The anger's not coming from them. It's in you. It comes out of you because it's in you. They're not bringing it out of you. It's not their fault. It comes out of you because it's in you. Notice what the scripture says. It's rather amazing. Verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. There's something interesting about this picture of an ordinary day. It's an ordinary day. David's playing his harp like he always does. And on this ordinary day, a typical day, what's interesting about the picture? Saul is sitting there with what? A spear in his hand. This is not normal. This is not typical. This is a person with a problem. Saul is sitting there on an ordinary day with a spear in his hand. Why is he doing that? Because the anger is in him. 
And Saul is now at the point where he is ready. He is ready to let it fly. He is a ticking time bomb. He's sitting there with the spear in his hand. You wonder where it comes from, but it's really less of a mystery than you think. It's it's inside Saul now. It's in him. Some of you, let's be honest, you spend your whole life with a spear in your hand. It's right there, isn't it? At any given moment, and we don't know what moment, and we really don't know who's going to be your target, but something's going to set you off, and it's going to fly, isn't it? You're going to let it fly. This is how you live your life. It might not be a a physical spear. Maybe it's the spear on the end of your tongue, but all it takes is somebody to look at you different, and you will let words fly. And you want to think that's not who you are, that's not how you are, but that's exactly who you are. You have the spear at all times in your hand. It's it's anger and it's a problem. You have a real problem. But Brother Tim, I mean, everybody gets mad. Everybody gets, you're a preacher, but you probably get mad too. Yeah, I get mad. I get mad. Anger is a human response. And anger in itself, as that response, is not a sin. We all can feel angry. The question is what you're going to do with your anger. That's the question. Important verse in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Read these words with me. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you don't have those verses underlined in your Bible, open it now. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, underline those words. Those are important, important words. Anger in itself is not a sin. I I feel angry. We all can respond with anger in certain situations. I'm that way. Uh, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, y'all, y'all know that. I, I was at a place and I was going out to the car and it was hot and I was carrying my beach chair. My beach chair is nothing special. I've had it for years. It's, it's just a beach chair, but it's mine. And I didn't want to carry it across the parking lot. So I set it down in the lobby by the elevator, just in a random place. I put my chair down and went out to the car. I was coming back and I walked up just in time to see a guy trying to steal my beach chair. He's stealing from a preacher, people. He's stealing my beach chair. He looks around to see if anybody's looking. He doesn't see me, and he picks it up and walks off. He is stealing my beach chair, and immediately anger's coming up in me. He's take, he's stealing from me. But then it gets worse. He's walking off, and then he, he, does, he looks at my beach chair like this. And when he does rusty water, it comes out because my beach chair has rusty, it, it, it kind of pees rusty water. It came out right there. And, and he looked at it. He turned it around. And he made this face like, and he threw it down. Okay, now I'm mad twice. I'm mad because he's going to steal my beach chair. And then I'm mad because apparently he doesn't think my beach chair is worth stealing. He is somehow better than my beach chair and he's a thief. I don't understand it. But it's anger. I I feel that anger. It's a response, a natural human response. And the anger in itself is not sin. But listen to me, anger will lead you to sin. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Do you understand this? This is very important. When you give a part of your heart, when you give any place to anger, you are giving that place to the devil in your heart. 
heart. And you give the devil an inch of your heart and he will want to take the whole thing. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You are giving a place to evil in your heart. This is what makes anger the monster that it is. It gives a place to the devil in your heart. So while anger in itself is not the sin, it will lead you to sin. So you've got two choices, two ways that you have to control your anger. And it's what the scripture says. Don't sin by letting anger control you. In other words, you have to control the way you express your anger. It's not a sin to feel angry, but what you do with your anger may be a sin. You've got to control the expression of your anger. You cannot sin with your anger. Control the expression of your anger. My wife is awesome at, at this. My wife got mad at me a couple of weeks ago. Y'all get on her. I'm the preacher. She was mad. No, I'm serious. She was mad at me, and I deserved it. But I didn't really know. I didn't really know that I'd done anything. Casey, she, she's, just, she's cool. She went through the whole day. She, she didn't punish me all day. But, but at the end of the day, as we're getting ready for bed, after everybody was gone and nobody else was around because she wouldn't do it in front of people, my wife just said, Honey, when you said that, It really bothered me. Awesome. Because, you know, she had choices to make. When you get mad at your husband, you need to let him know. And your favorite way, perhaps, is to throw the toaster at him. And I know that feels delicious. You just love to lob the toaster upside his head. And that lets him know you're mad. Or maybe you just go into the laundry room and you shrink his tidy whities You just shrink his underwear as small as you can make them. And you're thinking, I, I, I hope he chokes. And you're just thinking it. Or you're thinking at night you could smother him with your pillow. I mean, you have a lot of choices. But don't you understand? Your desire is to express your anger. That's your desire. And, and here's the thing that you won't believe me unless you've ever tried it. All you have to do is express it. I promise you, when Casey said, honey, when you said that, it bothered me. It made me angry. When she said the words, it did the same thing as throwing the toaster only without the call to 911. You just need to express it. And I'm telling you, if you'll just express it, if you just learn to say the words, what you did, that hurt my feelings, that made me angry. If you'll just say that, it has the very same effect as the two by four upside the head. It feels the same because you've expressed it. You can control the expression of your anger, but also don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You have to control the expression and you have to control the duration. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This isn't just a cliche. This isn't just an old phrase, you know, that that something like Dr. Phil would say, true for those who want to live this way. This is God's word, and this is very important for your life. You must control the duration of your anger. And Scripture suggests not more than one day, not more than a day. Don't let the sun go down while you're still mad. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because I could get really, really angry at you today. And maybe today I I choose not to say anything to you, but I just put that anger in my heart and I put it down there deep and I'm mad at you. I don't bring it up. I let today go by and then tomorrow goes by. And and all night long, I think about you in my sleep and I think about what I'd like to say to you, but I don't say anything. I I just keep nursing that anger and it's in my heart. And tomorrow goes by and the next day and the next day. And I'm carrying that anger with me. 
But guess what? Eventually, I'm still carrying the anger, but I'm no longer thinking about you anymore. I'm just carrying the anger. And that's what happens to people. They just end up carrying this anger through their whole lives, and they're no longer even consciously thinking about what made them mad in the first place. It's just this anger. It's just this spear that they carry in their hand every single day, and they no longer even remember when they picked it up, and they no longer even think of putting it down. It's just become a way of life. The spear the anger always in the hand, always on the tip of your tongue. You're always ready to explode. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, Scripture says, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. The response of anger in itself, that's not a sin but it will lead you to sin. It leads you to sin whenever your anger is uncontrolled. When you don't control the expression, when you don't control the duration, it's a sin to let the sun go down and you still be mad. It's a sin whenever anger is out of proportion. That's when you know it's a sin. It's not appropriate anymore. When something very small detonates an explosion in you that lasts for hours, there's something wrong with you. It's a problem. We're in the range of sin now. This is not something that you can overlook. You get up in the morning, your child turns over her her bowl of Cheerios and, and it sets you into a rant that lasts for an hour. Listen, mom, there's really something wrong with you. It's a problem. That's sin now. It's out of proportion. The smallest little thing will set you off. That's sin. And anger is always a sin when you're hurting people. You hurt people physically. That's a sin. If you hurt people emotionally, that too is a sin. Your anger is a sin if you're hurting people. You've got to face this monster in your heart. You have to face him. Let me talk to you a moment. If you're that person who is angry, if you're the person who battles this monster, then listen to me. You have a problem. But it is a sin problem. Saul's anger in Scripture is a sign of his distance from God. And your anger is a sign of your distance from God. The fact that anger controls you and not the Spirit of the Lord, that is a sign that you have a deep spiritual problem. Your anger is a problem. I know that you want to think that, that it's not you somehow, or, 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 or I understand that you probably feel very, very guilty after one of your explosions, after one of your shows. I know that it bothers you, and I'm sure that you apologize. I'm sure after you explode with your husband or your wife, I'm sure you go back and say, Honey, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I'm probably sure that your wife says she forgives you, and you're hoping to God that she forgets. But let me tell you something. She doesn't forget. You explode on your children, Mom. You just let loose. You fly with words that tear them to shreds. And you hope that they grow up and don't remember. But they remember. They don't forget. You're hoping that everybody just overlooks you and forgets. But that's not happening. Anger alienates you from people. And this is what's happening in your life. Can you listen to me? Anger alienates you. It is not that everybody forgets. We all remember But we have to learn to relate to you in a particular way. We just learn to step way back from you. And this is how people are in your life if you're one of these anger folks. You understand? People just stay back from you. Your girlfriend, she may continue to go out with you, but she's scared of you. She doesn't want the next word out of her mouth to set you off for two hours. And so she steps way back from you. This is not a healthy relationship. 
But this is the only kind of relationship you're going to know because nobody gets close to you because you're going to hurt them. If you don't hurt them physically, you will hurt us emotionally. You have the spear always in your hand and nobody knows who you're going to pin to the wall next. So we just stay way back. We keep our distance from you. It's the only way to have any kind of relationship with you is just to stay back. You probably don't like yourself very much for this. You feel horrible for the way you treat people. You feel horrible for what you say. Deep down inside, you don't like yourself. But the problem is your anger makes everybody else not like you so much either. So you have a person who doesn't like herself surrounded now by people who have a hard time liking her. This is a horrible cycle for your life. Do you understand this? You can't go on living this way. This pathway for Saul in Scripture leads to his destruction. Scripture says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This is a monster in your heart. You're not going to change quickly, but you've got to change. This is a monster that you have to face and you have to defeat. You've got to defeat. You'll have to fight. But you don't have it in you to control your anger. If you could control your anger, you already would have. If you could change on your own, you would have already changed. We know that. It's not in you to change. Only Jesus gives you that power. The fact that anger controls you is a sign that spiritually you're messed up. If anger is in control, then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is not in control. You have a problem deep in your heart, and you have to fix it as a sin problem. You've got to approach it as a spiritual problem. Like every other sin in everybody else's life, you start with confession. you just got to confess and finally stop making excuses for yourself and stop trying to make everybody else pretend like it's not really who you are. This is who you are. Admit it. Confess it. Come clean before God. It's sin confess it as sin. Stop pretending that it's anything other. Stop blaming your parents or the people who've who've somehow abused you. Stop doing that. It's your sin now. You've got to deal with it as sin. You confess sin, then you repent. You turn away from it. You don't go back to it. You've got to change. And I'm telling you, you've got to change. Got to change. This monster's going to destroy you. You've got to find healing. One of my favorite preachers is Tony Campolo. He preached a revival in the state of Oregon. Started on Sunday, went all week. On Sunday morning, a woman and her husband came to church. Of course, they were strangers to Dr. Campolo. He'd never seen them, never met them. But the man was dying of terminal cancer. He was very, very sick. But he was able to come to church that Sunday. And on that day, they came forward at church and they asked the ministers to lay hands and pray. And Tony Campolo laid hands on that man that day and prayed for healing. He went on back home. We preached the revival, of course. Uh, Sometime later, the phone rang, and it was the lady. She said, Dr. Campolo, I don't expect you really to remember me, but when you preach revival in Oregon, my husband and I came to church that Sunday, and we came down, and you prayed for him because he had cancer. That right there, had cancer. Tony Campolo is thinking, this is going to be a good phone call. If he had cancer, that means he doesn't have cancer now, and this is going to be one of those praise the Lord phone calls, but it, it, it wasn't that phone call. She said, no, Dr. Campolo, my husband died. You prayed for him on Sunday, and and he died on Wednesday. Tony Campolo said, ma'am, I'm just so sorry. 
I prayed for healing. I wanted God to heal him. And she said, no, listen, Dr. Campolo, that's what I want to tell you. After you prayed, my husband was different. You don't know my husband, but he was a miserable, bitter man. In our whole married life, he really was nothing but unhappy and discontent and dissatisfied. And he was angry all of the time, angry at me, angry at the world. But after you prayed for him, we left the church and he was different. He, he talked to me all afternoon and he called our children and he's never done that. And he called our children and he apologized. And he'd never said he was sorry in his whole life. And he called his brother and he hadn't talked to his brother in years. Dr. Capullo, I just want to tell you that, that the last three days of his life were the best days of his life. We read scripture together. We prayed we laughed. He told me he loved me. I just want you to know, Dr. Campolo, that, that you prayed for him to get better. God didn't cure his cancer, but he was healed. God healed my husband, she said. This is the kind of healing that we're talking about, my friend. Do you understand? There are cancers that can rot away the body, but, but what Scripture makes clear is that the anger in you is more corrosive, more able to destroy than any cancer you can imagine. This anger in your heart is poison, and you can't continue to live with it. It's a monster that you cannot defeat on your own. If you could do it by yourself, you would have already done it. You need the Lord. You need the help of the Lord. I'm asking you to come to Him today. Let Him give you victory. You got to change. It's not going to happen quickly. It's not going to happen on your own power. But it can happen. You honestly can have peace. If you let the Holy Spirit control your heart, not your anger. Pray with me. God, I pray this morning for young people who already have such rage inside them and they don't know how to express it. They curse, they rebel, they cut themselves, they do everything they can to let the world know how angry they are. But Lord, they continue to carry that anger day after day after day. Lord, I pray that you would set them free before the sun goes down. Those young people who are so angry, Lord, let them find peace. Oh Lord, I pray for women in this house, women Lord, who created in your image to nurture and love, who to be the center of the family, Lord, but women who are so angry all the time, bitter, who continue to speak words into the lives of their children, speak words into the hearts of their husband that cut and destroy, Lord, women who are so, so enraged all the time. Lord, I pray, I just pray that you'd break their hearts open and take all that bitterness out. Jesus, give them peace. I pray for men, Lord, men in this congregation, men in this community, men, Lord, who are so angry, bitter. Lord, I pray for men, husbands and fathers who are almost impossible to live with, who explode. Everybody tiptoes around them, Lord, because they are so dangerous. Lord, I pray that you would break the hearts of those men wide open. Break their hearts, Lord. Give them a new heart. Lord Jesus, we struggle. There are so many monsters, so many things that would come and take up presence in our heart. Lord Jesus, help us to guard our hearts, the wellspring of our lives. 
Lord Jesus, help us to be very, very careful what we allow to live inside of us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take our hearts, that you would live inside of us and that nothing else would come to threaten us or make us afraid. Lord Jesus, I pray today, if there's any in this house who've never given their hearts to you, today would be the day, Lord, the day of salvation, day of healing, day of peace. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.